Last time we left off at the end of verse 9 in Titus chapter 1. And as you recall, Paul had, had told Titus why he was leaving him there in Crete. This is a very personal letter. Paul is writing to Titus. You can imagine them on their missionary journeys. They end up on the, on the island of Crete, which is a very interesting island. We're going to recall a couple of things about that tonight, but Crete has its own problems. Paul leaves Titus there and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains. In other words, it's a grace of God to the churches to leave them with, uh, with leadership. And we've talked about some of those qualities as we've been going through our ecclesiology study about uh, qualifications for church leaders and things like that and the blessing that, uh, that is, hopefully, leadership in the church to their churches. And so uh, we pick up where Paul is continuing to explain why it's important to be qualified. And he says this, for, there's, there's a, it's a purpose statement. Whenever there's a word for or therefore, he's explaining the why to what he just said or what we should do out of it. He says, for, there are many who are insubordinate. He says, this is why you need to be qualified because you need to have the kind of character to be able to approach difficult people. Okay? He, says, he says, for there are many who are insubordinate. In other words, if, if you're unqualified, if you don't have the character qualifications, they're not going to listen to you. Uh, that's, that's one piece of rationale here. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. In other words, there was a group of people, and I, I've, I've always thought that the phrase circumcision party is a really funny way to, way to put it. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's what our translators have done there. Uh, but there was a group of people, a party of people, who were, um, who were trying to heap up extra, extra expectations on believers that were outside of the Bible. Okay? In other words, they were the Judaizers, Folks who were Jews, still are ethnic Jews. Now they've come into the church, but they're trying to tell the Gentiles, y'all need to live the way that we live in our convictions and in our matters of conscience, in other words. So they were saying, you need to take on the sign. You need to do some of the Jewish commandments that we brought with us into the church. And so this was causing a division because there was a group of people who were saying, y'all, in order to be right with God, you need to do some things that are actually outside of what God says you need to do. You need to have the gospel plus a few rules, things like that. So it's causing some division. And this is why God gave Titus to the church at, at Crete, because he's telling them you need to Go into these situations and help these people understand what the Bible says about these things. In other words, if there are people in the church who are heaping up burdens on the consciences of others about things that are outside of the Scriptures, that's going to cause a rift. It says they must be silenced, verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, well, let me, let me pause there. In other words, what's happening 
is this church is in danger of losing the gospel by adding something to it. Okay? There's two ways you can lose the gospel. You can lose the gospel, the gospel message, right? You can weaken it. You can undermine the gospel message by taking things away from it, right? In other words, we could, I, I, could, I could preach a gospel that says, Hey, um, come to Jesus. Just you know, say this prayer. Uh, fill out this card. And you're good. And not say anything about the life that God calls us to that's changed after that. Well, it might be possible to attract a bunch of people to that kind of, of, of decision. Oh, you, you mean I get a get-out-of-hell-free card and I don't have to, like, I, nothing has to change? Well, you know, it's true that Jesus meets us exactly where we are. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. But Jesus isn't going to leave you there. He's always, going to, uh, he's always going to produce in the truly converted, He's going to produce a new pattern of life. So you can weaken the gospel by taking something away from it, or you can weaken the gospel by adding something to it. I know I've used this illustration before, but you know, I, I used to own a little truck, and this truck was the product of the energy crisis. And it was when they were putting all of this stuff on vehicles to make them more energy efficient. It was uh, back in the 80s and things like that. And so what a lot of people did... Um, was just pull some of these things off of them. They were running, they were belt driven, and I don't know. They, uh, the, the one that I had, everybody back home had a slang term for it. They call them smoke grinders. You know, it was the, the EVAP stuff and all that, uh, trying to burn the, you know, the exhaust stuff for energy efficiency. And, uh, you know, people just took them off because actually adding something to the truck took power away from it, right? You would think adding something to it would make it better, but it actually uh, is, is, uh, it works a little backwards there. And so you can also weaken the gospel by adding things to it, by saying, hey, you need the gospel, you need the full gospel of Jesus, plus a few extra things, and then you're good. Okay? Extra expectations. Um, so, uh, this, this relates to faith and works. We're not saved by good works, but good works must arise from our lives. We're actually talking about this on Sunday morning because it's what's uh, going to be in James. We pick up at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. They'll therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Okay, I want to give a little word here about verses 12 and 13. I used to think um, that what was happening here was that this Cretan, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore, therefore rebuke them sharply. I thought that the problem was what this guy was saying about his fellow Cretans. Like, I thought that, that Paul was getting on to him for calling these people liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's actually not what's going on here. What's going on is that this man is telling the truth and that the people who make up the church in Crete are actually living like the rest of their culture. They are lying. They are being evil beasts. They are being lazy gluttons, right? It's not a good thing. And so Paul says, therefore, 
rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. In other words, yes, the culture around them, right, Cretans didn't have a very good reputation. As a matter of fact, even today, the word Cretan is kind of a derogatory term. You, you, know, you can hear somebody call somebody else a Cretan, right? It's because they were actually in this time period known for not being a very high moral character. And so if that's the culture, if that's the, if that's the kettle that you're cooked in, and suddenly you come to Christ... You come to Christ and you have all of this stuff from generations, from your family, from your culture, everything that looked normal to you, right? And suddenly you, get, you, you become converted. You come to Christ. You, you enter into a church. The problem is, we all know, churches are made up of sinners. And they bring with them into the church the sins that they had, you know, before they knew Christ. And so we're all still sinners. We're simul justus et peccator. At the same time, sinners and righteous. We're righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus has done, but on this side of heaven, we still struggle with sin. We're still sinners. And so, what he's saying here is that the church doesn't need to look exactly like the culture around them. They need to be distinct. They need to be changed. And that kind of change is going to look attractive. It's going to be the fragrance of the gospel. It's going to be the salt and light. It's going to be salty. It's going to make people desire to know what's different about these Cretans who are Christians. That's what he's saying here. He says, Reprove them, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. In other words, don't rebuke them just because it makes you feel good. Rebuke them for a purpose so that they may be sound in the faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So he's going back to those expectations, those extra gospel plus things, those gospel plus expectations. He says, don't let them devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. Okay, here's the teaching. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. In other words... When you come to Jesus, you're not perfect. As a matter of fact, the road actually gets harder. G.K. Chesterton had said of Christianity that it hasn't been tried. It hasn't been, let's see. It hasn't been examined and found lacking. It's been found hard and left untried. That's a, a paraphrase. In other words, Christianity is the easiest thing in the world because Jesus did it all. But Christianity is the hardest thing in the world because you're called to a narrow way. It is at the same time effortless and incredibly difficult at the same time in two different senses, right? Uh, this, the, the narrow is the way. Uh, and and um, narrow is the gate that leads to life. But believers have a renewed conscience. In other words, we're not perfect, but when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, we have a new scorecard. We have a new standard, and, and, a, and the inner witness of the Spirit convicts us of our sin and, and calls us to, to turn away from it um, increasingly over the, over the course of our life in Christ. It says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. 
by their deeds. I'm actually going to reference this Sunday morning because it's in James uh, chapter 1, the end of chapter 1. It it deals with this idea of, um, of faith and works. Listen to what it says here. Know this. Well, let's see, in in chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. So, these people profess to know God, but by their deeds, by their works, they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient, unfit for any good work. It's very difficult words, very hard words. But they remind us of what our lives were like before Christ. So, what's the solution? Paul rolls into the solution in chapter 2. He says, but as for you, what solves these problems in a church ultimately? But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's the remedy. The remedy is solid biblical teaching. It can fix more problems than you really think. That's why our trust should not be in the wisdom of people, but in the Word of God. The Word of God does the work of God. There are problems, friends, that our church will face that I don't have the wisdom to navigate. But God's Word has the wisdom to navigate them. And so, what I know to do is to do my best to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, this is how this works out. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And let's examine that. We're to be sober-minded. In other words... The kind of wisdom that should mark a person as he ages should be the kind of wisdom that marks a person as he ages. In other words, it's not attractive. It's not a a quality of biblical manhood to act like a child as you age. It's not dignified. It's not sober-minded and self-controlled. You hear echoes of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Self-control is, is a fruit of the Spirit. It should mark older men. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. In other words, steady, consistent. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Okay? So there's, there's also this, this sense that older women should also adorn adorn. Uh, the glory of God that God has hidden inside them. So men show a part of God's glory. We talked about this last week. Men show one, one turning of the diamond, right? You turn a diamond and you see, you see different beauties of it. And so the, the, the glory of God, the image of God is revealed in men and in women. 
women also were to, to adorn this. It says, actually it says those, those words later, to adorn the doctrine of God. Older women likewise would be reverent. So there's this, this soberness, right, uh, in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. There's another, the fruit of the Spirit. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. And then this has an application for the young men, right? We talked about older men. What about younger men? Like, likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Are you seeing a pattern? The self-control seems to be, seems to be marking the life of a believer, um, I, as, a, as a veteran of youth ministry, I can say that urging young men to be self-controlled is probably, uh, is probably one of the harder things to do, right? I can remember when I was a young man, and self-control uh, you know, is always, always difficult. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I lost my place. Um, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Okay? Living in, in, in a culture that is hostile to them. What Paul is stressing here is that when you're in the midst of a culture that's hostile to what you believe, your character has to be above reproach. Because otherwise... Those who reject the gospel are going to look for reasons in you to reject your message. It's difficult because we're all sinners, but the call is, is still there. And that seems to be what the text is saying here. Um, it, it goes on in verse 9. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's important to make a note here that when we think of slavery, we think of, of the chattel slavery that was racially based that went on in our country um, for, a, for, for far too long. Um, the slavery that is in view in the Bible is, is different, okay? It's, it's not the same. Um, in early Rome, it could actually be, it could actually, certain forms of it could be a social safety net, right? A person who was financially ruined could go to another person of means and say, I need to be uh, indentured to you for a period of time. Can we work out an agreement? If you'll provide for my housing, and for my meals, and until such a time as I can get out of debt, could I be your servant? And he would say yes. So in this, in this regard, it's something I, I don't know. I don't want to draw a straight line, but it would be kind of like a mortgage, right? There's a sense in which if you have a mortgage, you, you're, you're a debtor to, to whoever holds the note. Um, but anyway, it's important to make a note there. This is not an endorsement of, of chattel slavery, uh, here in the Bible, uh, this, this um, argument is often made uh, by those who seek to, to try to undermine uh, the Bible um, from the outside. But the point is this. Whether you're a woman or a man or a young person 
or a servant, slave, a doulos, no matter what your situation in life is, the gospel has come for you. So what he says here, verse 11, for the, grace has, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In other words, all kinds of people. Men, women, older, younger, those who are wealthy and those who are so poor they have to go into some kind of indentured servanthood for a period of time to get themselves out of that condition. No matter who you are, the grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to people like you. This is a comfort. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, there's that word again, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, in other words, there's a past reality of salvation, we were saved, there's a present reality, we're now being trained to renounce ungodliness as we walk this earth, this earth is like our training grounds to, to, to purify us, and then one day, right now, we're waiting for the blessed hope. That's a future. There's something future in view here. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He finishes this chapter, what we know is a chapter. He finishes it off with a, an encouragement to Titus that echoes what he said to Timothy, right? He's got this, this, this father-son relationships with, with Timothy and now with Titus. Remember what he said? Let no one disregard you because of your youth. He says to Timothy, he says, basically, it's not about how old you are. It's not about how young you are. It's about the message that you carry. Don't let anybody Disregard that message because the message is greater than the messenger. He says the same thing here to Titus. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Why? Because when it's done well, when it's done well, ministering the gospel of Jesus, you're just the messenger. You're an ambassador. You bring with you a message that is not your own, it comes from a higher authority. Therefore, don't let people overlook who that message comes from. So, minister the gospel to them because it comes from God. I think that's enough for tonight. Why don't we pray? I know many of us want to get home and roads might be increasingly treacherous. So, uh, hopefully that won't happen for a, for a little while longer. But we encourage everyone to be careful tonight. Why don't I pray for us and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men, bringing salvation for anyone who would confess the name of Jesus, who would renounce their sins, and who would turn to you. Lord, I pray that that message would have such a power within the walls of this church and outside of it. I pray that that message would go in power, even this Sunday, Lord, as we gather on the Lord's Day, I pray that you would drive someone in who shows up inside of this church, perhaps not even knowing why they walked in, but because of a divine appointment so that they might hear the gospel and turn and believe. God, would you do that?
Would you do it in a way that would just confound us? Would you do it in a way that would surprise us? Would you cause this year to be a year that would be remembered in the history of Trenton Baptist Church for how you moved through your Holy Spirit? God, I pray that you would give us uh, comfort and grace. I pray that in the coming week um, that we would be able to, to be about your mission through Love Trenton. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be looking for opportunities to tell others about the very grace that has appeared in our lives and has changed us. We desire to let them know about it as well. God, would you do that? Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.